0: ladies and gentlemen welcome to our next guest is hello and welcome to another our next guest is this is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers and entertainers in the corporate and events world and we meet the person behind the name my name is michael pope and i'm here with carson white from leading voice carson who is our next guest Our next guest has explored
1: almost every facet of the entertainment business for some 30-plus years. Trained as an actor, then working as a TV show host on over a dozen programs, he has forged a niche for himself as the most clapped-out person in television. (laughs) That is, as an audience warm-up for the country's favourite shows. A television producer, radio host, but now working primarily in the corporate sector as a conference MC and awards night host, our next guest is my co-host... Michael Pope. Oh, Carson, read just as I
0: wrote it. Exactly, mate. That's what you told me to say. (laughs) That's right. Well, I thought it would only be fair on my own podcast to spruit the fact that I'm a gun for hire as well. It's a great idea that we actually have this conversation with you because... And I'll do you in a couple of weeks too. That doesn't
1: sound great, but um, <laughs> I'm happy to be interviewed if that's what you're referring to. Indeed, I've known you for some fifteen plus years, I would think, Michael. My time in my previous world had the pleasure of engaging you and booking you as a, as an MC, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and always got outstanding feedback. And that was probably one of the primary reasons I, I came to you and talked to you about our next guest is and and the Joy Music co-host. So here we are. So. Tell me, Michael, let's go back to the early days. Right. Um, I was born you, in Barmer, you, South Australia. Well,
0: not that early, but oh, let's okay. go back
1: to uh, – you, you trained as an actor. So let's start there. So I, did,
0: I did. I well, did. Well, actually, if you want to go my story, it does start early because I reckon in about grade four – I first got on the idea that I wanted to be an actor, or certainly a performer. Um, and what was that moment for you? Was I think it an epiphany? It was, uh, not an epiphany, but I have strong, positive memories of my uh, teacher at that time, Leon Earle, who went on to great things in education in South Australia. And he was really encouraging of that performer in me. I remember as a kid writing a school play for my mates. And so I started on a trajectory where... Through primary school, high school, when other mates were, you know, playing footy on the weekend, I was at amateur theatre doing drama and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was no surprise then that I went on to Flinders Uni and trained as an actor because I had my uh, mind set on, you know, being the next Robert De Niro which was so, (laughs) so stupid. We all got to have dreams. (laughs) That's true. Um, And then, uh, and this is, you know, this is Michael Pope's career in 20 seconds. So I was working as an actor in Adelaide for a while and then got uh, some work presenting as myself. And that's really where I found my voice because I thought I was an okay actor and I know I'm better actually being myself, you know, times two uh, in performance mode uh, than any time I was acting. So that has then, you know, kept me good for years. So presenting as yourself, what do you mean by that? Well, um, my first presenting work was on here's humphrey as as the you weren't humphrey though no i was not in humphrey (laughs) Uh, i I didn't recognize you (laughs) that's right because i'm wearing pants now right um so i was the presenter on the here's humphrey show and with my acting background i thought well i you know this is really vulnerable to stand up and say hello i'm michael pope so why don't i play the role of a presenter on a kid's tv show so if you If you make that mental switch. And I think that's some advice I do to jump to today. I do one-on-one coaching with people now in terms of public speaking. And it was a useful attitude to have that it isn't you that they're looking at. It's a character. Mm. My first stand-up comedy work was a character that I created at uni called Albert Nuss. And so in a way that prevented myself from being disappointed if they didn't laugh they weren't not laughing at Michael Pope Mm. they were not laughing at this thing that I created um but then I got some work on card and connection in Sydney in 1985 and that you know dispensed with the persona or the um the character work and ladies and gentlemen here's Michael Pope Mm -hmm. and so that's when you know I I started presenting as myself
1: right and then you went on to host your own tv show um If I recall, I remember watching it as a a kid myself. Yes, when
0: you were coming home from prep. (laughs) That's right, Carson. That's Um, right. I I I was early 20s and you were four.
1: I Uh, can't can't (laughs) for the life of me remember the name of the show now
0: cruel but i uh, do remember blockbusters and total Lock- recall yes yeah, that's some, right yeah. so some kids tv really from 85 to 96 i was in the kids tv world uh doing stuff and and having a ball it was yeah. really good fun again developing that ability to talk underwater to be um you know upfront and to be encouraging and engaging you know kids are a tough audience mm-hmm. uh you've got to be authentic and you've got to be energetic and all of that stuff and so it was great and so with that profile that i was now developing i started getting work in the corporate world mm-hmm. oh you know that guy of tv what Why don't we get him to open the fate? So that was the opening door moment. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was good fun. So yeah, you started to do that. So what was the first sort of work into the into the corporate world? Was it the MC stuff, or was it? It was the MC stuff. It one of my early work was MCing Ladies Night at uh, the Jamison Street Disco in um, in Sydney, and so I was there in a tuxedo, which I kept on the whole night, and these uh, hunky stud guys would come out and strip down to their jocks in front of hens nights. Right, so this was about a year after I came off TV as a kids show
1: host. I was going to say you would be doing that in parallel with uh, kids TV. No, no not that in wouldn't parallel. Work, no, that
0: wouldn't work. It, uh, it it wasn't in parallel. It was in a year that um, I learned a big lesson. I was hosting the Carter Connections I mentioned in '85, and then um, at the start of '86, I was offered by Channel Seven uh, an afternoon uh, game show called the Trivial Video Show and with a proviso that if it didn't last I could go back to my role in the morning kids show right. which, which is fantastic it was live tv with mm. Alex Wilman and myself having you know 7 days a week it was a great training as well as a great job so I did the trivia video show and it lasted for 2 months and so to their to their word channel 7 said oh well you know that's a shame but come back to the morning show which was Sydney only and I went you know what, I think I've done kids' TV. Mm. You know, I've, you, you... I've done a national program now. And so that was the beginning of 18 months' unemployment. And it <laughs> was a real lesson. Yeah. It was don't be so cocky. Yeah. Take opportunities when they come. Yes. Don't think that this job will lead to the rest of your career and so forth. Yeah. And um, my wife at the time, Vicky, sorry. <laughs> She's still your wife <laughs> she now, is isn't yeah, she? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, she said, it was the best thing that could have happened to you because you needed to be you know, taken down a few notches. Yep, yep. And so that was a, a real learning lesson for me. And so, yeah, it was 18 months, two years of unemployment. But then in 88, I came to Melbourne where I now live and uh, I've been earning money from the game ever since. Uh, Wombat was the kids' show that I was the Melbourne reporter for yes. and one job did lead into another, did lead into another. And then the corporate world uh, started growing as well and now I'm doing uh, more work in the corporate world. Right. So just touching, staying just in the TV,
1: just for a moment. Yeah. So you still are in the TV, uh, you have been for 30 years, but now you do more behind the scenes
0: That's off right. camera work. That's right. For about 10 years I was producing TV, Burt's Family Feud and The Price is Right with lovely uh, Larry Emder, Larry Emder yep. and other shows, and that was fantastic. That was being part of a team. And if there's one thing that, that I have missed out on, I think, in my very solo career is... It's that sense of being part of a team and, and all of us working on the one project together. They were the great years at uh, Grundy Television, it was then, and Fremantle now. So they were cool. And then the other behind the scenes is audience warm-up. Mm. So in 1990, I got my first gig on um, uh, Blind Date uh, as the guy who is the first voice in the room to welcome every, hi, thanks for coming, sit down, you know, da-da-da. What we want you to do is clap when I go like this and don't don't call out the answers and all that sort of stuff, and I've been doing that uh, ever since on on so many shows, from from uh, you know interview shows to uh, you know the Australian Idol or the Voice or the uh, Australia Day concert on the steps of uh, Parliament House in Canberra with thirty thousand people there, yeah, or, or sitcoms or game shows or today I'm working on Millionaire, and have done for uh, for twenty years with Eddie Maguire. so that kind of first voice in the room and not being afraid to break the silence and Mm. also conduct people as to where to go has really armed me with the experience that I now take into the corporate world in conference. So yeah really that all of that warm-up experience has probably
1: positioned you in a way unique to other MCs in Australia. I mean, uh, other MCs come to their role for for various different ways, but the skill set that you actually got um, doing this warm-up, and as you just outlined, being able to break that silence when you get into the room... Obviously, it's a huge part of why you do so well as a corporate MC now.
0: Yeah, thanks. It is, and it's kind of lessons by osmosis. My role in warm-up is to be the middle guy, the conduit between an audience who have come along to see their favourite stars. It's not about the Michael Pope show. And so my job is to focus. It's one word, it's focus. All those, you know, 300 different disparate days that those people have had, mm. get them into the one headset so that when Joe Bloggs on TV says something funny, they all laugh as one, right? So that that kind of focusing energy into a moment and it's not my moment, it's The person on TV's moment is what I do in warm-up. So it's not hard then to take that to the corporate world. Hey, conference delegates, welcome wherever you're from, from around the country, hi, blah, 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 blah. For the next three days, we are going to do this. And then it's my job to focus them into why they're here, to hear from the the CEO, to hear from the next keynote speaker, to go to the bathrooms now because you've got an hour off before our awards night. That guiding people Mm. is what I have done since 1990. And it's a, a natural and easy transition to go into. To the corporate world doing that. And at the same
1: time, doing the, the functionality of the role as an MC, which yep. is obviously hugely important, following the scripted run it all, but adding your own flavour and yeah. humour into it. Because as we know, sometimes corporate events can get a bit dry and stale, but you bring a massive amount of humour and entertainment into the role.
0: They, they, they can get stale and, and a good MC can kind of read the room and know when. Again, back in warm-up, sometimes, unfortunately, we'd have an audience there for like three or four hours straight. Mm. And so I've developed various tricks and gimmicks along the way to, you know, I call them bend and stretch. And literally it is sometimes stand up, bend over, stretch, yeah, etc. Which we've all done. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, but, but I've got a, a bag full of other bits and pieces, particularly Back to my childhood, I was a member of the um, Australian Magician Society at about age 12 and uh, always had this fascination for magic. And it, it went by the way as other things came along. But then the last 10 or 15 years or so, I've rediscovered that joy that I have for particularly mentalism, mm-hmm. which is that part in, in magic, of, of the whole mind reading kind of yep. stuff. The other thing I've learned is how to talk underwater and stretch, right? So I can do a two-minute magic trick in two minutes or I can take 12 minutes to do it. Yep. And I very much engage with the audience in that, and so that's an example of those kind of ice breakery kind of stuff that I do. So clearly, you have a do have, pardon the pun number of tricks in your bag, yeah. not just the,
1: the <laughs> obviously not just the magic stuff, but obviously being able to do the humour, yeah. being able to, and the other thing that's important as an MC, often things don't go to plan yeah. at an event, so being able to actually draw into that bag and pull out something that can fill something or replace something if 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 it's needed. So that's right. So. Um, Obviously, MC uh, and is a huge part of what
0: you do, but you also do other things. Yep. Y-
1: have you done any work around um, presentation or presentation skills and those sort of things?
0: Absolutely. I've, for years, as I said, I've been at conferences and and uh, you know introduced uh, Jane or Joe blogs and sat down and listened to them, keynote speakers, and gone, wow, they add such value to a conference. how can I add more value to a conference? What do I know? What could I talk to an audience about beyond the normal role of an MC? And about five years, it dawned on me that, well... If there's something I know about, it's getting up and talking in front of people. Mm. So now I do have a keynote uh, called Presenting Matters, and it is putting together those 30 years of lessons that I've learned from experience into a keynote that I could deliver to, you know, 600 people in a room. Or I'm now also working as a speaker's coach one-on-one with people about firstly how to find their story. And secondly, how to present it well. Which is great
1: because um, sometimes, actually not sometimes, often um, a client will say, well, we've got, we've got you as the MC. Can, what else can you do? Yeah. And often uh, some of the MCs that, are, that, uh, that we certainly manage and I've worked with over the years have got the capability of doing a presentation as part of their role as an MC over a two- or three-day conference. Yeah. So again, that's just another, another element to what you can deliver as part of your overall role as an MC.
0: That's right. And I think I'm a really good listener. I think that's what's got me through um, my career in the sense that I believe some MCs – come on stage, you know, very politely and appropriately welcome people and outline the day and introduce the keynote speaker and then they themselves leave the room. Mm. I've never done that. I'm very much in the moment. And so what I would then do is follow up that keynote speaker or, or whether it's the address from the CEO or the CFO or whatever um, with a very quick pricey of what they were just talking about. Yeah, what were the key points? Yeah, what did like, we learn from the I mean, about experience? two minutes yeah. sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. And the number of people who are uh, delegates who come at lunchtime and say, oh, I really appreciate those, those wrap-up things that you do yeah. – so so that's a value add that I do. And also at award nights, I I think award nights are probably my favorite event. And I say this at award nights, it's for two reasons. For one, we, I think in Australia don't clap ourselves on the back appropriately often enough. Mm-hmm. You know, when something goes well, we quickly deflect it and say, oh, no, no, it wasn't me or it was the team or, you know, I must thank those other people. And so I tell them tonight is your night. If you're a winner." Own it. Stand up here and be proud about it. And the other reason I like award nights is that it shows the other people who, perhaps, if tonight isn't their night, who it is who's lifting that bar and going beyond expectations. And so I encourage the other people in the room to post tonight, get in contact with them, because in my experience, winners and leaders are very open with their knowledge and with with what they can share. So follow up with them and send them an email and say, "Well done." But do you mind? answering this question you know because I'm having a bit of trouble here and you'll find that leaders do it and so on these award nights I I set that scene that this is a night of celebration and also, I love it when conferences and, and businesses give their recipients time to say thanks. Mm. I think it's a really important part of an award night. It allows them to give thanks, but also I stand right next to them when they do it. And once they kind of, you know, choke over the words or run out of steam, I then, in a very supportive, encouraging way, and yes, sometimes with some fun as well just ask them to drill a bit deeper. What, what do you think you're doing right that got you this award? What's your team, um, you know, what have you done in the last 12 months? They they may ad lib and say, oh, you know, we've, we've been going for this for three years and finally we've got it. And so I'll say, so what have you done differently in the last 12 months that you weren't doing before? And they'll have an answer because mm. that's their life. But it's drilling down beyond the just I'd like to thank my team speech that I think being a good listener, I'm able to draw out for the whole room. So clearly... Uh- in order to do that for a co- for a client at a conference,
1: or if it's whether it's a three day conference or it's an awards night, the briefing process is a really important part. So, what sort of questions and how do you go about doing your briefing process?
0: I often send out a, um, a pro forma question and answer to the organiser saying you know what are the hot topics of your team uh, of your delegates your group what's been some stuff that's good or bad that's happened in the last year so what's top of mind from them what was the conference last year about and and who was there and and so on so I enter the room feeling that I know these people to some extent and then obviously and so this would be a a phone call follow-up recently I had a gig where I went on site it was an event organiser who was new to the business and uh, to put her at mind which allowed her to put everyone at mine. Um, I went on site to visit to say, okay, let's put the, the stage here and the lighting there and that sort of thing. I'll do whatever is necessary for the client for them to have confidence in me. I have full confidence that I can turn up almost not uh, briefed at all mm. and wing it. Still do it. But yeah. in an ideal world, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. But you can. Uh, but I can. But it's, in a big way, it's to give the, the, the PCO or the client confidence that they have someone who is on, on top of things. And it is because I think, as I said, I, I can listen at the moment that I can get through it. So uh, just continuing the theme we've done with other podcasts, yeah. is, there, is there a gig either good or bad that stands out in your mind? I do remember it was at John Farnham's 50th birthday that was held on the balcony of the Regent Theatre in Collins Street. They blocked off Collins Street and they estimated about 20,000 people were on the ground waiting for John Farnham to come out. like the Beatles. Very much like it. And uh, because I was uh, known to the organisers, uh, it was my job to get out there first and and do it. And I was really nervous Mm. because, you know, A, this is John Farnham uh, who's a lovely man and no one should be nervous of, but there was 20,000 people and at that time that was the biggest audience I'd um, been in front of, and so I was sweating, going, "Oh, what am I going to do?" You know, the jokes that I sort of do in a more intimate mm. thing isn't going to work. Um, then I went out there, and I fairly quickly realised that they weren't actually here to see me. No. And this is one of the messages I try and get out to to people that I'm coaching in there. Uh, you know, developing a, a voice in keynote is that. That audience wasn't there to see me. They were there to see John. And what I was doing was delivering information to them about John. So we filled the time... And and I did it with an energy and an excitement so the the excitement and anticipation was building, asking questions, you know, what was his first song and let's play the first few bars of Sadie and sing along to it and so on and so forth. And so that calmed me down because mm. I realised that the focus wasn't on me and what my suit looked like and was my voice too high and all of that kind of stuff and the focus was where it should be, which is on John Farnham. And so a, a point that I try and make in my coaching is that you have – a delivery to make you, your your speech, your keynote address is like a package, and you 're purely the postman who has to deliver that to a very willing audience mm-hmm. so don 't worry about oh will, will I stumble over this or that, or what will they think of me if I you know mess up? Don't think about that because they're not thinking about that. Mm. They just want to open this package. So get your focus and attention away from yourself and onto this thing that is between you and them and deliver that. And it really helps reduce the nerves. It's a very good advice. So just before we wrap up,
1: I, w- yeah. I want to do a bit of a blatant plug for your other podcast that you've done for a number of years. Yeah, um, It's cleverly called An Audience with the Pope. What's all that about? Where did I get that from?
0: Um having worked in TV for 30 years, I've met a lot of people that are, as I call them, Australia's favourite faces. Mm -hmm. So this is... So celebrities. That's right. You know, Ray Martin and Burt Newton and Mike Willisy at the older end through to, you know, your Charlie Pickerings and Rove, um, Julia Morris, uh, Kate Sobran. It goes on and on. There's about 70 people that I've interviewed in in 20-minute chats. And it's not, you know, give me a chronology of your life. It's more, you know, the cost of fame, what started you on the path that you're down. Because I think uh, about age 15 is a really important... Time in anyone's life, and so I asked them about how they were travelling at that time and what put them down the path that they then travelled. So, yeah, an audience with the is where you can uh, go and listen to those. Fantastic. As I
1: said at the start, I've I've worked with you for for over 15 years and and rebooked you. And one of the interesting things is that you often get rebooked by your clients uh, year upon year. Mm. And the only reason they do that is obviously because you are very good at what you do. The flip side to all of that is uh, the lesson learned from listening to you this afternoon is that as a good conference MC, it is about the event, it's about the audience, and you are there to facilitate a fantastic night and make sure that people walk out of that room feeling good about themselves the event and ultimately the whole experience mm. so i think michael pope you do that very well thank you mate. if you are interested in booking michael pope to either mc or assist you with a presentation or a keynote you might be working on please go to www.michaelpope.com.au.
0: that was our next guest is with carson white from leading voice and your mc michael pope To hear more of our guests, you can find us on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.